the service mesh abstraction allows for a consistent model of managing and monitoring the different components of a microservices architecture. In the service mesh pattern, each service is deployed with a sidecar container, which contains a service proxy. These sidecars are collectively referred to as the data plane. Each sidecar provides the service that it is deployed next to with a set of features such as security policy, rate limiting, and monitoring instrumentation. The sidecars in the data plane communicate with a central module called a control plane. And in the control plane, an engineer can operate across these individual services at scale by pushing out updates to them. Kubernetes has made it easier to manage large fleets of microservices and has led to wider adoption of service mesh. Istio is one of the most popular service mesh products. In today's show, Varun Talwar returns to the show to describe the state of the Istio project and the process of deploying Istio to a cluster. Varun is the CEO of Tetrate, a company building an enterprise-ready service mesh. Prior to Tetrate, Varun was at Google, where he helped found the gRPC and Istio projects. Varun Talwar, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you, Jeff. The service mesh abstraction is something that many companies would like to have at this point in 2019, but many companies have difficulty setting it up and deploying it. Why does service mesh have a reputation as being difficult to deploy? Mm, Good question. So I think before we answer that, I think there is also a confusion of what service mesh is. And the answer to that, I think, is also a little bit confusing to people, which is, you know, service mesh is is not a completely new concept. It's a way to connect all your services securely in a platform layer as opposed to doing it in silos. And it being a platform and people running different kinds of services in different environments, I think it is not something that is very easy to get started on introducing into your organization. And that's actually one of the reasons I ended up starting this company, Tetrate, is uh, to actually make it easy to get started, adopt, and grow with all the complexity that you have within an organization. And to answer your question precisely in terms of why is it this reputation of like it's not easy to get started. I think primarily it's the term is getting popularized via the Istio project that was kicked off at Google. And I think it was centered mostly around Kubernetes when it kicked off. And, you know, that community picked it up well and got started. But I think there was interest from many other communities on that concept, but it wasn't really designed for it to be consumable by by them. And that's one, I think, reason. Second is it came because of it being platform and the concept of it doing a bunch of things that are today done in code. It is rich on features. And I think the getting started process of like, how do you do a specific use case, get it started was not something that was optimized for, is getting better now with the projects. But I think those were two reasons why 
the perception of hard to adopt grew. What are the difficulties of setting up a service mesh today? So one thing to understand is service mesh is sort of a design concept. There are multiple projects, multiple technologies trying to, multiple implementations of that concept, right? So the real answer to that question lies in which one we are talking about. But let's say we were talking about Istio, which is one of the more popular ones, then I think the difficulty starts right from what am I doing it for? What problem I'm trying to solve for? And I think there has been a lot of this, let me just try it because this is the next new cool thing. And which not starting from a real use case with in hand is one challenge in terms of how people are approaching it the second is that it is in order to if you're setting it up for greenfield applications i'm building new things it is easier to assume this platform and start building for brownfield it's not as easy to inject something like service mesh safely reliably securely and i think that's the other part of the challenge making it the promise is there for brownfield, but for because it's somewhat of an intrusive concept, right? You're having proxies take over your data plane. People need it to trust it. it needs to be super reliable. It needs to pass all the checks and balances within an organization for it to be really put to production. And I think the projects are evolving to that. The technology is evolving to that, but there are no clear guidelines in terms of how you make it happen for brownfield applications, what kind of applications, what are the kinds of applications you actually do not try this on or what are they not ready for versus what they are ready for. And I think those are some of the real world translations or those are some of those how adoption happens in real world and what are all the things that need to happen on top of this technology in terms of best practices, paths of adoption, those need to happen and they haven't happened yet. Let's talk more specifically. Let's say I've got a company with a bunch of services. I have my infrastructure on Kubernetes. If I want to deploy sidecar proxies that are Envoy to all of those different nodes, what do I need to do to actually get those sidecars set up and deployed? There's not much in Kubernetes actually. So with Istio, it's you can set up auto sidecar injection in the sense that every time a service comes up on a pod, like sidecar is automatically injected and it sort of takes over, does traffic interception, takes over your traffic and then you're up and running. So the vanilla case in Kubernetes with like your sample apps is pretty straightforward and easy. I think the challenge comes when you have specific Use cases like, okay, now my this service spans not one cluster, but N clusters. This service talks to not just within Kubernetes clusters, but outside Kubernetes clusters to different other computes. So I think those are the scenarios where it's not clearly laid out to people on how to do it. Does Envoy itself have a control plane for interacting with the different Envoy sidecars? So Envoy project on its own comes with 
basic java and go control plane that you can extend on and many companies have done that so yeah so the short answer to your question is yes so what does istio give you in addition to that envoy built-in control plane yeah so istio was designed for you know so one it was designed primarily for kubernetes first so it's one thing to just manage the fleet of envoys it's another thing for your control plane to be aware of the environment you're running in right so what istio did was like hey i'm aware of what services are running in kubernetes i'm aware of kubernetes api server i'm aware of what those are what their names are which namespaces they are living in and it it sort of tied all that with the envoys such that within kubernetes you get one holistic experience right so and second one was it added a whole lot of features and configuration mechanisms such that you are defining constructs in terms of what you want from your services and not what you want not configuration knobs of envoy right so if i want retries and timeout policies for service x to be foo and bar then that's what i define in a way that i'm used to in kubernetes environment and istio does a bunch of the translations into the right envoy configurations making sure it is understood by them it reaches them they have you know those kind of things but the reality is that this experience that istio first tried is primarily given for kubernetes today is can be given in other environments as well right so one of the things that we as tetrate are trying to do is extend the same concepts to different kinds of compute right because the concepts are very generically applicable for application developers and for where they would want to do is just define what i want from my application and service behavior in terms of my networking capabilities runtime security capabilities and you know default observability that i want for my application those are all true even if you're running you know some other computes you know other than kubernetes so you know it's, mesh is really designed to take a whole bunch of capability that was being written up in code and bring it into this platform piece make it part of the you know devops platform layer such that you know whole lot of cross cutting concerns like around these areas like reliability and security are built into it and dev ops network admin security can all sort of participate together to make this platform running right and this is why it's it's an interesting and a different operating model for companies because adoption is not just what the technology is it's like how do i adopt it what do i need to change in my organization to actually make it real how do i take step 1 how do i take go from there to step 2 and that is the journey that service mesh is going through right now hmm. one of the goals of istio is to help you manage security policies describe how security policy management works in istio so yeah people i think loosely say security so security is a large multi-layered concept the piece that istio deals with 
is the run app security runtime app security layer which is all of your securing all the communication between services and there are two parts to it there is the authentication and then there is authorization so the first part of encrypting all your requests and traffic from between all of your services without you having to write code in every service to do it is frankly one of the biggest things that still today attracts many people to Istio. So how it works is pretty well straightforward from a from a high level but deep from a technology level. So how Istio works is basically as it injects Envoy in front of between the two services, basically all of your service to service communication now is taken over by the envoys on either side. And then you can define, okay, I want TLS communication between these services or in the entire cluster. And there itself, you can see A, how powerful that is, but B, that is also the reason why it can be, it's a little bit intrusive and, you know, scope-wise sort of, it can bring a fleeting change, right? And imagine if one of the services there was, let's say, running a protocol that Envoy did not understand, or let's say it was a storage system where the injection of sidecar caused a performance issue. And I think those are the areas where Istio needs to evolve to give more choice and give more incremental adoption because people try it, they do it because you give a choice of cluster-wide, they do it cluster-wide and then something or the other goes wrong and then the user perception is that it didn't work, right? And that kind of goes back to your first question of like why that perception exists. I think there are powerful knobs exposed to sort of more widely needs to be more caution behind exposing them. The other part to continue this answer is authorization, which is one of the big needs in organizations is to say centrally which service can talk to which other service. So within Istio, you can define sort of RBAC style that authorization policy and you can extend it via other authorization adapters to define those authorization policies and then enforce who can talk to whom. Right. So those are the two big sort of security aspects of Istio. And the concept, if you extend that again to a mesh which can span across environments, data centers, and potentially and clouds, is very, very powerful. It starts to make this sort of application aware networking layer, which is what I like calling mesh as. It's this network layer, but now it's aware of all the requests and all that are going through it. And I think that that is a very, very powerful concept that is where I think Mesh needs to go. You were at Google as a product manager of Istio and gRPC before that. What was Google's go-to-market strategy with the release of Istio? Interesting question. So... From Google's standpoint, there were a couple of things were coming together. 
One is Google had the experience of running an architecture like this in their own API platform backend. So a lot of Google API serving works on an architecture like Istio. It's not actually Istio, but it's it's a very similar architecture of sidecar proxies. And the second thing was as Kubernetes was getting adopted within you know community and Google, there were certain gaps which were evident within that Kubernetes community. So and joining those two is how Istio came about. And you know my personal experience from GRPC was also it worked well for people adopting that as for Greenfield, like if this is how I build my services based on protobuf and code generation. And if I subscribe to that pattern of building services, it worked well. But for a lot of existing services where I can't change or cost of change is too high, there wasn't a clear answer. And in that process is then, you know, we came to know of Envoy and then, you know, pieces came together to form Istio. The rest of the go-to-market was mostly to align the ecosystem of partners in support of it. And, you know, one of the things Istio did was from the get-go had a bunch of industry partners, not just Google. And the fact that Envoy came from Lyft and then IBM was participant from day one. And then, you know, we had... Other participants like Pivotal and Red Hat, who are like key players in the ecosystem, joined behind the project, was, I think, very impactful from how it was perceived in community, how it has quickly risen to be almost one of the de facto service mesh projects of choice. And, you know, it's found its way into most of cloud providers and pass platforms already by now. So it, it definitely grew way faster than I thought it would. And in some sense, almost too fast. And I think that is where the now the maturity of project and the popularity are now sort of catching up. They need to go lock, you know, in step. Can you explain that in more detail? What do you mean that the project grew too fast? I mean, in terms of popularity, right? Like it became way too popular, way too soon, right? And more people tried it when it wasn't ready for such wide adoption and wide set of use cases from start. So that's what I mean. But it's gotten quite a bit better in the last six months or so, I would say. And, you know, remember, this is is in data path technology. So people have quite a bit of questions around performance. But at the same time, it it's also very easy to adopt. Like one thing to understand is like, if you look back at Kubernetes when it was launched and you know what happened to it a year, year and a half from launch, it wasn't very, there was one few key differences. It wasn't this popular this fast. Second, the adoption path was different. You have to actually containerize your app, which requires for you to rewriting, you rewrite code and stuff. But this one is more just inject in data plane and get value. And so it's, in that sense, very easy for you to take your step one. And that is another reason I think people, there is no entry barrier to it almost, right? But the core project has to be mature enough to absorb all of that kind of interest from different kinds of people, right? So Istio is approached to by developers, by actually operators, by 
SecOps and InfoSec people, like it's approached from all these sets of people and they need to have a clear way to take incremental steps to adopt Istio. You know, incrementally is a keyword, safely is another keyword. And I think that's that's happening more and more. So it's going to be in, you know, much, much better shape by the end of the year. And it's just this is just a sign of how, you know, growing projects. So it's it's not very surprising. It's just you know, when something is very valuable and easy to get started, obviously more people come through the door, right? <laughs> How would that incremental adoption look like? If I'm a company, I want to adopt Istio or another service mesh technology, how should I adopt it? What should my proof of concept within my organization be? Yeah, so it should be driven by your needs, but I would pick the one use case or the one problem that I would want to solve with it and figure out just doing that, just deploying the pieces for it, just picking, let's say, a few teams and few applications, even maybe starting with one to get that problem solved for one application. So I would start that way, take something which is, you know, as fundamental as like for example canary release and safe rollouts is is another popular feature i would say within Istio, where in this world of ci cd and like faster deployments you deploy like now you deploy like every few minutes rather you know as opposed to day you know days and weeks earlier but now you have multiple versions newer code getting deployed every few minutes but you also have to make sure that you're rolling out to your users and you're getting real traffic to it quickly. So if you were to pick, let's say, okay, one application I want to have, let's say canary releases done, then I would pick for just solving that problem in terms of how the team can make sure that they right configuration such that you know they can shift incrementally traffic to newer version they can see the corresponding metrics and performance for that shifted traffic get confidence in it dial up the percentage of traffic to the newer version take it all the way to you know whatever 100 percent if that's what they want and you know, view back my metrics to say, okay, this I feel good about and complete that journey just for that component, just for that use case and succeed in it and then move on to the next capability. So I think that would be my suggested sort of path to begin. The other one, which we are seeing quite a bit is starting with ingress. So, you know, within an application, there's usually if you're on microservices path, there is you know, many, many microservices that form it. And then the wider the set of services, more are the constraints around what you want from a protocol perspective, performance perspective, security perspective. But Ingress, if you do like Istio Ingress, then I think that people find it as a less intrusive, easier way to start. And we're seeing that across many companies. Start with that. And then, you know, learn the configuration bits, get confident in it, start involving your network 
teams to be comfortable with Envoy, have developer and network admin teams collaborate to make sure that this is something they feel comfortable rolling out. They they get a sense of how to configure it. They can manage that fleet. They get comfortable with its performance and then go on to injecting them in sidecar deployment pattern for sort of more service-to-service communication. That term Istio ingress, can you explore that in more detail? What is Istio ingress? So you can deploy within Istio, within service mesh, there is two concepts, right? There is north-south and east-west. There is north-south is when you have, you actually traffic coming from outside or another way to people say that is like you don't control both sides of the endpoints like it's coming from an external source and east-west is when you control both sides it's internal so typically the first pattern has been served by you know this api gateway pattern for many many years and you know kubernetes has this concept of kubernetes ingress that you can define a service of type load balancer to sort of expose it outside. Istio basically does, allows you to deploy Envoy as your ingress gateway, as well as your sidecar proxy. And that's because Envoy can act as both. It actually originated as an ingress proxy at Lyft. And what that means is typically you... For north-south, you have slightly different requirements than east-west. Like your A, it's obviously less intrusive. You can just put it in, you know, front of a namespace or a cluster and not in front of every service. Second, there is defined things you want to do in terms of typically you just want to do authentication or some sort of token validation of who is allowed to come in. You want basic metrics of how many requests are coming in. And those are easier, well-known things you can start to get comfortable with Envoy on. So that's actually a, an Istio as a control plane can, you can drive behavior of both the, you know, ingress proxy or the sidecar proxy. And then you can start doing, let's say like TLS termination is, is a sort of common. People start to offload termination to Envoy as opposed to, let's say, the fronting in, in many cases, F5 or any any of those sort of global load balancers in front. And that is a common path of how people get started. And it definitely gives better behavior than the standard, you know, what standard ingress that Kubernetes comes with. So in that sense, it's you also, you know, you move a level up from where you were used to within Kubernetes at least. But the same thing is can be done for uh, other computes as well. You founded the company Tetrate. Explain what your go-to-market strategy is for Tetrate. Yeah, so Tetrate's whole company is focused on service mesh. We want to make Envoy and Istio really, really easy to adopt on all infrastructures, all computes, all clouds, on all kinds of workloads. We want to provide... So that is one step in that we want to do. And in that direction, we've recently created something called Get Envoy, which you can actually access at getenvoy.io, G-E-T-E-N-V-O-Y.io, which is an easy way for somebody to just get a certified build of Envoy and get started. And that is the starting position, and we are going to extend that to 
have more tooling around it so you can operate a set of envoys we want to do something similar for istio as well make it really really easy to incrementally adopt in steps again on any compute and then really for us long term vision is to form this multi cloud networking layer which has which is application aware which has inbuilt security which can adapt to most all of the workloads and provide sort of a management layer on top which developers and operators can use and it can fit into the infrastructure of different companies in terms of yeah go to market we are early we are building this product out with the certain you know design customers rolling it out and now we are seeing you know more and more companies coming to us you know for the same so will be it's not publicly launched but we we hope to get that done later this year and go from there yeah so the company is about year and a well 15 months old at this point so early days there are multiple different companies that are building their strategy around becoming an istio vendor how do you differ yourself from the other vendors so i think one thing is to make i mean one there aren't too many vendors here in this space who really understand envoy and istio well second in terms of differentiation right like i think we at least i think of mesh as a large platform play where it needs to adapt to traditional workloads as well as modern workloads and one of the things we and i are doing is extending istio to traditional workloads as well which is like vm bare metal as well and making it really really simple and easy on those environments as well because i think for people for organizations to help them in their journey of like modernizing i think it is not only the right thing to do it's actually very helpful and it aids in their acceleration to modernization by having a layer like this available so i think that's something different and you know like get onvoy for example is a very small but pertinent example in that direction which is how easy it can be for you to if you just have like a vmware node to just get onvoy up and running and front it with your application so those are like baby steps in that direction but yeah i think that's one and the so the approach would be one and then i think second is just team i mean just the, the whole team happens to be set of people who actively created or contributed or are maintainers of of these two projects so that's the other part do you find yourself competing with other vendors for deals to help migrate them to or i guess i should say onboard them to istio because my my sense is that a lot of enterprises do want this service mesh thing but they need a lot of help to get there and so there's a lot of room to differentiate and compete for deals on the axis of how deeply you're going to help an enterprise with the onboarding process so do you find yourself competing for deals with other vendors frankly right now no i mean as a startup at this stage i mean i think the interest we are naturally getting is enough to keep all of us absorbed and busy and you know there are actually more 
people who want help than I can help today. And so, you know, I've, I've not seen sort of too much of competition yet in this, at least that for me personally, but obviously my data set right now, given that I'm small is small, but yeah, I'm not seeing that as a challenge yet. Tell me about your interactions today with prospective customers and people who have become your customer. What are the problems that they're having and and what do they want help with? Yeah, I mean, primarily you're right in the sense of how do you help me onboard to Istio, given my infrastructure, given my constraints, given my plan of modernization, given my journey to cloud, given how I want to increase my developer agility, ops agility. So, you know, this is the frame with which customers come to us. And that's, I think, common for many of them. And really, it boils down to having, like any other thing in this world, like, you know, prioritizing and having a plan and, you know, having a partner who can help you execute that. So I think, so like I said, we are a partner to a few in helping execute that. And, you know, that journey is very, there's a lot of learnings coming into that, that we are trying, we're building into our projects and products. And so I think that is extremely fulfilling in terms of what, you know, getting those learnings and putting them into the product layer. And it's not easy, right? Like productizing is is here is hard given the, the heterogeneity that people have and the scope that we are dealing with here. So it's it's not an easy layer to really productize. And I think Service Mesh will go, it's definitely early. It is evolving from like interest to adoption to product to platform. It will go through that over the next probably five years or plus. But if it goes to the platform stage where it's for an organization, you can assume this layer exists and developers can just build on top and the all of your organizational workflows are built around it. I think it's humongously powerful in terms of what it does for your agility across the board. Because, you know, one thing is with all these, you know, microservices and all these framework things is like, yes, there is developer agility is, is promised, but, you know, you forget about the the network. You forget about security and those are real they need to go grow lockstep with your developer agility with your devops model and they need to evolve to a similar model and once you do that i think you can adapt your networking and security to this model of more dynamic workloads and cloud world i think you can find to save a lot of hours that are today spent in just understanding metrics of a service or understanding health of a service, its dependencies and all of that. So a lot of that stuff can just be done, like assumed as part of the platform. And that is very, very powerful. And in some sense, you know, I I like to think sort of more meta senses, like networking is cool again (laughs) in terms of, because I think of it as like application aware network sort of brings me to, you know, the the Sun Microsystems line of like network is the computer. It is somewhat actually becoming more true again now. And to me, it's like a lot of intelligence is now going into the links than the nodes. That's if you can think that way. And that is kind of the reason of why 
you know, and, and as you go to more distributed apps world, the more is demanded of links, the more inte- power is needed in links, the more intelligence is needed in links. So it seems, and that is that part to me is super exciting and is promising for this space. What's the hardest part about building a company in the quote cloud native space? <laughs> it's a good question. Well, certain things in company building are hard period, no matter what kind of company you're building. And those are generally true. The hardest part is generally attracting and retaining good people. So I think that's my number one on the list from my short experience of 15 months as well. In specifically to cloud native, I think people, there's a few misconceptions in terms of even what cloud native is. And again, I think people sometimes assume like, cloud is equal to cloud native, which is not necessarily the case. (laughs) You can have, you know, cloud as it exists today got us to uh, provisioning agility. Yes, one click, me not maintaining data centers and like one click provisioning of machines and stuff. But cloud as cloud native or this notion of I can deploy my application and make changes to them in, at a rapid pace, deploy them where I need to based on the cost, performance, security constraints, and almost think of data centers and cloud as a sea of compute. And I can place them where it's right to place them and right as a function of, as I was saying, like, you know, cost, performance, security, and, and so on. But if I can do that, then that to me is, that is more how I think of a cloud native style operating experience, but more centered around applications, not centered around infrastructure. And I think from a company's point of view, that is what they primarily care about, which is how do I get my applications to be more reliable, measurable, secure with my org structure? And then where I deploy them is somewhat a secondary concern, right? Like how I do that is something that should be front and center of my experience. And I should be able to do that independent of compute, independent of the cloud I choose or data center I'm running on, right? So my thinking is a little bit sort of different, I I think, from what how people think of this. But to me, I think this is why if you look at the missing links to get to something like that from where we are, I think you'll be able to relate why I think Mesh and its uh, future towards this sort of application-aware network layer is is a pretty important missing piece in this future. So that's kind of what got me even excited to start this. So let's see how far we go. The first company to come to market with a service mesh product was Buoyant with the Linkerd service mesh. Mm-hmm. How does Linkerd compare to Istio? So Linkerd is a great project. In fact, William, both William and Oliver, who I know is doing a phenomenal job, and in fact, Service Mesh, I think, has a name. In fact, the credit even goes to them because I think they were actually one of the first ones to come up with. I mean, like in terms of specifics of Linkerd, yeah, I mean, I think their latest work over the last six months or so is pretty phenomenal in terms of the experience and speed that they are bringing, which is great. I think more options is better for consumer. One thing which is personally to me i think envoy as data plane and envoy's adoption is 
growing pretty rapidly and the community which is adding capabilities and maturity to Envoy Institute is growing pretty rapidly an ecosystem there is forming at a faster rate so i think that i i would see if i were linkedd i would see as a challenge but yeah i mean otherwise you know both william and oliver are doing a pretty fantastic job what about from an engineering perspective? What are the design decisions that Linkerd does differently than Istio? So from an engineering point of view, look, I think there is, so the core, going back to the core data plane, I think so they've launched the new data plane, which is Rust-based, which is fast, which is what is bringing a whole bunch of data plane resource utilization gains that they've been talking about and, and speed, which is great, right, I think. But I think for this to be widely adopted beyond ecosystem purely from engineering i think you need it to adapt to there's a whole bunch of things you need in the data plane because this whole concept is about centrally managed and locally enforced or centrally managed and locally executed where you can define centrally what behavior i want but locally running proxies can actually enforce those and for that locally running proxies to adapt to different workloads you need protocol additions and, and Envoy is already adapting to a bunch of non-HTTP protocols and more are getting added. Second, performance tuning, right? There's like lot, just a lot more people working on tuning of performance of Envoy. Third, when in a world of this, you want to have a specific injected behavior, like I want to check on whether a given request payload has, you know, or forget payload, even like header has any SQL string or I want to do something on the payload and I want to write certain custom behavior, which is pretty common to, I want to do certain checks on whether this request is allowed to do, I read something in header and payload and make that decision. So these are, you know, just examples in authorization space, but this need of customizing the behavior of these locally running proxies is another, from an engineering point of view, a need. And, and that is an, also a place where I think Envoy, with its efforts, is a little bit ahead and growing faster. So, you know, for me personally, and obviously for our company, we are placing our bet on Envoy and Istio. But frankly, to me, I think the larger vision of enabling this service mesh for the organizational impact is way more important. And, you know, let's say five years from now, there is an even better, you know, faster magical data plane that, you know, we do or someone else does. Great. You know, we should adopt that. Do you think that the service mesh war is winner take all? No, I don't think so. For a while, it'll be, there'll be many implementations. And we, in the long term, probably one is going to win, I think. And the reason is, I think there'll be, again, because the core plumbing is of the mesh in terms of the data plane and the protocols and its performance characteristics, it having all the buy-in from all the organizations, it being compliant, like the set of things that need to happen to the core plumbing for it to be widely adopted is, is a pretty high barrier. And I think it'll be difficult for multiple things to cross those barriers where you'll have choice. So in that sense, one will win. But where you'll have choice is the platform piece where you can have adapters and different companies. Like let's say, for example, I want to have a very 
I have a vendor where I use to do you know threat detection like the specific this whole bunch of companies that help do that and I want to take signals that are coming from this layer but I can then plumb in my threat detection software awesome so there will be like companies providing that and so on like this so I think there you'll have many many choices same for let's say you know even observability or security but on the core foundation I think I do think long term one will win Varun, thank you for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's been really fun talking to you. Thank you, Jeff.